those who were involved in making it come to life. Join us as we go. Behind the door. Hey everybody, welcome again to another episode of Behind the Door. Um, I'm co-creator Brian Black, and with me today is super fan, um, social media guru, Brooks Bigley. Hi. <laughs> that would be me. Yes, he is, representing the man beard. Also with us is J.M. Sheriff. He's uh, our composer for many of our episodes and all of season two. J.M., how are you doing? I'm great. Hi, guys. And also with us is the author of Summer Child, the insane Daniel Russell. Hi, good morning. <laughs> yeah, it is morning for him. It's Sunday morning, guys. He's in Australia. Um, it's 8 a.m. over there. So he, he did us a favor. We thought he was going to have to get up at 6 a.m., but I, I didn't do my math right. And our guest host is going to be the creepy podcast own. John Grills. John, I'm going to pass over the uh, torch to you. How you doing? Thanks for coming. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I think this is the first time I've ever done a Google Hangouts podcast. All right. And you know what? We had our share of issues getting everybody on. So thanks, Google. I'll be up as always. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Are we, are we going to... I So the assumption is that everyone's already heard it. And yeah, let all of it sink into their bones, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're going to be well aware and have plenty of questions, kind of like I do. Like, why? Why, Dan? Why'd you write that? I asked myself the same thing yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I'd, uh, I heard it the week before, but it was just in the kitchen playing and, and you know, just wanting to listen to the music and the sound effects. But um, I tend to listen to the gray rooms in the car on the way to work. And I was stuck in traffic yesterday, and it got to the the major scene, and I was just laughing away because with the with the the sound effects on top, it was just it was too much, and I had to ask myself, what was I thinking all those years ago? <laughs> so, how long ago did you write it? Um, when I listened to it, I could imagine. The first house I lived in in Australia, which would have been about eight years ago. So it must have been around there. When you say you can imagine it's because it takes you back to that place when you were writing it, or did you use that model for the house that was in the story? I kind of used the the, the porch and the, 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 the front room there. When he runs across the road and he's waiting by the front door and you can see through the window, all that was like the, the front of the house. So yeah, gotcha. it takes me, takes me straight back. So then how big of a departure was it for you once you wrote it and once you actually heard it turned into an audio drama format? Like, did that have a pretty big impact on how you view writing things like that? Yeah, it was, a, as I say, a big, a big gap. I think I looked at the story when I gave it to Brian, so I just gave it a, a quick polish. And even that was a while ago, wasn't it, Brian? About a year, maybe more? Yeah, Um I think we ended season one's, uh, you know, I, I think everybody had to have their story in by April. So to go from April to now March, I mean, it's almost been a year in between all that. So, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> mm. 
But yeah, it, it was hearing it afresh. And um, back then, I used to write a lot of nasty, nasty stuff. So it kind of took me by surprise, especially the um, the the cake. If you remember that between oh. her legs, and I was like, yeah. oh. <laughs> Cake <laughs> is a good way to put that. Sure, why not? That, uh, that took me by surprise. I, I forgot about that bit. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that <laughs> impressed me. We'll say, I guess, impressed is the best word I can think of right now. But like I said before, we started recording. Like I don't think I wanted to eat for a while after hearing this, and I listened to it at nine o'clock at night. So I don't think I eat until about noon the next day. So definitely an impression on me. Half the crew. It's going to go to uh, Jason with those, the sound effects. It's just so oh, so yeah. wet and glistening. <laughs> he he loves those sound effects, man. I mean he he giggles like a little squirrel girl, a school girl when he like you know when he's doing a thing with a pencil stabbing in the leg and all that. I mean you know he just he's patting himself on the back every time he listens to that. So it's really good. <laughs> you know this is actually uh, Dan Russell's second story he submitted to us the first story uh, we really wanted to use but uh it was a little little too more too controversial even for us <laughs> wow that's oh, a lot uh, you, you, what was it about you, you, oh <laughs> yeah can that be a patreon reward where we can read that <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey dan what do you think it was well it was um it was free at one point. It, the, the last novel I had out, which I think was last year, uh, the publisher released the one I sent you, Brian, as like a promotional free story because it's slightly linked to it. So I'll try and get some links of the one that didn't make it because you said, Brian, it would probably shut us down in the first season. <laughs> I yeah, that quite clearly. <laughs> I, well, you know, the, the story is really strong. Um, is Daniel is a great writer. And I think the thing is, though, is that, the, okay, uh, if you are familiar with the anime series Bible Black, you might get kind of an idea as to where the story might go in terms of disturbing. <laughs> uh, but but there were some scenes in there. And if, if I'd say they expect, it was a good call because being that people had issues with Mike Lee's story, um, with the with the little girl dying in the bear, I think it would probably be a it was a good call we didn't take it. But you know, I mean it's still it was a good story. And I remember Jason and I were looking at it and we said, you know, it's a great story, but that there's a certain scene in there and we were just like, oh but uh it kind of made a, a, a thing because we really wanted to use um Daniel's story and that is sort of the first issue we had like well we want this writer um, what are we going to do? And Dan was really great. He had another story and he was able to give it to us and uh, we were able to work with it. Um, and I think that the fact that that Summer Child kind of starts you off in the middle of something and doesn't necessarily waste time in explaining like how it got to this point, I think it was a really good call, especially for the fact that it is like pretty much in the middle of the season still. So it kind of works out as a story that, you know, we're not trying to introduce anything. We're not trying to end anything. It kind of works out really well for it. Yeah, it hits the ground running real fast. But that actually brings up an interesting point. A couple of years ago or so, I was in like a, it was a Facebook group or a Slack group or something. And the conversation, you know, sometimes people just post the question about whatever in audio drama. 
and one of the things I was really curious about, and you know, with horror, it's not just you're not just a horror fan. You know, the, you might like slasher, you might like camp or eighties or body horror, or whatever. But I I can't remember if I had posed it or someone else had posed it, or if it was based off comments about how people wanted to see like more graphic stories and audio drama, but it was a question of how far can you actually push audio drama before you turn away the fan base. But I think a lot of it came down to is no one could quite find that line between where they wanted to get the larger community and, and um, like commercialization aspect, like the bigger numbers and like, and podcast audiences and just trying to serve a base where it's like, yes, we want body horror. We want more, human centipede and 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 hellraiser and things like that so do you think that there is potential in audio drama to go like where a summer's child is almost like a starting point and it can go beyond that or do you think that that's only for such a small niche that it could it would have difficult being successful beyond just like like a pet passion project open to anybody yeah. <laughs> hey, Brooks, you, you listen to a lot of horror. What do you think? Um, everyone can hear me okay, right? Yep. Because the camera's not moving when I talk. No. Oh. Can't hear me, can you? Yeah, I can we hear you. Hear you. Oh, yeah, you okay. I got worried for a second. So, yeah, where, where does the line get drawn about whether it's art or not? Um, I kind of I, – I, I get where you're getting, John. Um, I do feel like it maybe kind of might still be niche right now. But – if it stays art, if there's some kind of, I don't want to say a higher meaning behind it, but if, if it's not just body horror to be body horror, I feel like it can be more accepting and kind of break out of that niche. Um, I feel like Summer Child is a great example of how to do that because sure, it's got a really disgusting visual that you're going to get from what you're hearing, but it's still done tactfully, I think. There's a reason why. There's a larger world that we're seeing. There are motivations behind the characters. It's not just like, what can I write that's disgusting so I can try to shock people for that, that value. Um, so I do think that it's, it can break out of a niche, but it still is very much, as you say, a niche. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if I'm really answering it properly. Well, no, you are, because I, I know that, that um, even, you know, you take like monster podcasts, like No Sleep, like they dealt with that what was it around season two or three where they had to start doing trigger war didn't have to start doing trigger warnings they chose to start doing trigger warnings based on on responses from the audience and i think that came after a couple of really difficult stories one specifically i know is a budget cinema that involved it was basically like um a siberian film if it were a short story mm -hmm. you know it was just like a very graphic involving you know just brutal story and i think that it, it was really interesting because i mean and that was no sleep probably five years ago six years ago so as much as they're a juggernaut now i'd be curious to see if they're willing to tread back into those kind of waters like is the audience so small or uh. is the average horror fan or listener going to reject stories that are too visceral 
or I mean, I know personally, I have a hard time with stories that involve kids because I have kids. It's not that I won't listen to them, but it's like I don't seek them out, you know. And if it if if it becomes too graphic, so I think horror just treads this really weird line because there are people that want you to push it further and further and further, but how far can you push it before you ostracize your base? I think for us, um, like we you know, we started out with the main episodes, you know, with a war story. And then we went right into a very intimate portrayal of a young girl that was abused and then killed by her parents. We had received some very negative reviews on our podcast because of that, but only a handful. It was very, people told us that it bothered them and they asked for, like what you were talking about, they asked for some kind of disclaimer. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of, it kind of sidelined us, I think, because we didn't think that was going to be the one that we were going to have issues with. Um, Funny how that works. Yeah, right. I mean, and we should have. It was like common sense. Like, you know, yeah, this is. But I think because we were so focused on the teddy bear and how strong that character was that we were like, oh, you know. Um, but then the author, uh, Mike Lee, started getting kind of shout outs on Twitter. People were saying, well, this was a great story. You know, it's terrible, but it was great. And he was, they were really, you know, really enjoying it. Um, I think that one of the things that, I don't know if it set us apart, but our first season, we were looking for people that aren't necessarily writing for a podcast. They were just writing horror stories. And we gave them sort of the freedom to write. I mean, whatever they wanted or, you know, if, if something we preferred something that wasn't published, but some of the stories were and, you know, um, and I think it was a little bit distinctive. You know, sometimes people are writing these stories sort of with a, specifically for like an audio podcast. You kind of hear it almost sounds like a documentary type deal. Mm-hmm. And um, these stories were made more like if you were trying to, you know, create an anthology of short stories and you had this variation. And I think so, like for, for Dan, um, you know, he was just sending us a story that, I mean, it could have sounded like uh, it was from a much larger work the way it was, almost like he cut in pieces. And that's what I think got everybody interested in it. But I think in terms of horror, we have to remember that horror can be a genre that complements something else. I mean, you can have a science fiction fantasy story that is horror, you know. Event Horizon. Yeah. Yeah, Event Horizon. Um, Really, I mean, any major Michael Crichton story is kind of horror. I mean, Jurassic Park, you know, and yet people are okay with it. I mean, you know, you can get massacred by dinosaurs, and for most people, that's probably not their cup of tea. If I said, hey, I'm going to go and show you a movie where a person gets ripped to shreds by a bunch of dinosaurs, uh, especially a guy sitting in a toilet, you know, and he's going to get ripped to shreds or whatever from T-Rex, somebody's probably going to be like, I'll pass. But you get somebody like Steven Spielberg, you get, you know, the story that really depicts characters in a sci-fi way or a dramatic way or people we can associate with, and suddenly horror becomes totally acceptable. Um, so I think there's the thing. I think if you just focus on, you know, a slasher movie where there's no character development, there's nothing. They're just wiping people out left and right without any kind of repercussion or anything. That's going to divide your audience. But if you find a way to sort of, you know, mix genres and give people something more to kind of cling to, I think people will accept anything. 
And, so and I, still a motivation too for the character. Mm -hmm. There has to be some kind of motivation to spur on the plot. Like you had awesome motivation that started the story right away um, with Summer Child. You yeah. House for just one minute, you know, and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And then unraveling it as, you know, we were learning along with the characters as they went into the house. Well, yeah, by sorry, go ahead. No, by by showing those the crazy dad, you automatically like, oh man, this little boy he's trying to save is in trouble, you know. So you nat naturally are getting sucked in because you want to see that kid get rescued. See, and when I first started listening to it, I actually listen. I heard it different. I didn't think the boy needed to be saved. I thought the boy was being kidnapped. And that was the intention and the yeah. music. It was the music that really helped that because I was kind of, um, when I wrote it, I was trying to deceive the reader. And that was exactly what I wanted the reader to think, that it was a, a, a kidnapping. Yeah. Um, Worked on me. And because you are introduced to the couple, at the very start of the story, the music, which is that like CD kind of criminal, you know, that vibe you get. So noir, it's so like a noir feeling. Yeah. So you associate that kind of feel with those, with the introduction of the characters. So straight away, just through the music, you're making an assumption about who these people are, which is why I really love the music. So I'm curious because we touched on it a, a couple of different ways talking about motivation, one from motivation of the writer for what they're trying to create and two from the motivation of the characters that they've created. I'm, I'd love to hear more about what was your motivation behind this story? Like where did it come from? Um, so say going back a few years, I remember it being primarily a, a writing exercise. Um, and only on hearing it again, I, I realized it was because I, I wanted to write something in the present tense, which I hadn't really done a lot of. Um, so that was it. So I thought, yeah, present tense, that's going to get you a nice quick pace. So I just wanted an all out kind of action horror story, which is kind of why I gave it into the gray rooms. I thought um, when it's converted to audio being present tense, it, that might work really well. And other than that, I think I just thought I haven't written a cannibal story yet. So let's throw that in. <laughs> you know, the you even calling out present tense, like that hit me. I don't think I noticed it immediately until he started going upstairs. But you just don't hear it much in horror or an audio drama. Like everything's past tense. Like everything is what happened to me or a recount, especially when you have a narrator who's recounting the action. Like it was, it definitely set a different tone for the story, the immediacy of it, as opposed to because present tense adds a different level of tension. Like you know, someone taught speaking in past tense, especially it wasn't it wasn't in this case, but if the uh, if the narrator is the one going through the action and you're speaking in past tense, oh well, he survived. But in mm -hmm. this, the immediacy and the present tense and the 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 omniscient narrator you're in the middle of that like okay he got stabbed in the leg already and now he's going up into just the worst place i could imagine frankly you know a, a, a crazy little girl out of texas chainsaw massacre just jumped out of the closet at him like it's it definitely roots in this case the listener and in, in 
I don't know. It just it definitely had its own feel, and I never thought about using first person in a pot in especially audio drama before, but it really worked. Yeah, I only on hearing it myself, I kind of realized there's kind of a um, an up and down pace with it. You'll have a really fast action scene, yeah, and then you'll have a few moments where he's kind of catching his breath and kind of summarize it, you know, what am I going to do next? And then he'll he'll make his choice and then another quick scene and it kind of has this nice ebb and flow to it mm-hmm. that really did come across in the in the podcast, which is good. Well, the writing dictated so much of the feeling. It's like it puts you right in there. So like, right, you know, you, on my side, writing the music, it's like I heard this stuff while I was listening to Just Gabe, doing the, who, by the way, did an awesome job. And, uh, you know, and it's it like, it sets the mood for me. It set the mood without the music. And I was like, okay, so this is what's missing. This is what needs to be added. And so that's how I, you know, came up with what I came up with. So like uh, a lot of times um, when I'm writing for these things, it's, uh, you know, I kind of have to think of my own thing. But when I was working on this episode, it just, it just synced up. It, it, the mood was there. Everything was very descriptive. It was it was perfect. And I noticed the um, as the story changes from kind of early on suggesting it's a crime story, and as it becomes more horror as the story progresses, the music changes with every beat as well. That was really good. Thanks. <laughs> we noticed these things. So is. <laughs> As little as I actually like to expose my ignorance when I listen to or read stories, I think it happens a lot. So I, I have to know, like, what happened in the story? Like, what did what does the reader slash listener not know before the story started and after the story ended? Like, we're thrust in the middle of it. So motivation motivation exists for the character, but we don't know the true motivation besides going to get that boy. Why was the boy there? There's a few little hints in there that um, the, the, the Swift is, is the, the town butcher. Yeah. And there's a, a line there where Cherry says, regarding the mum, because she's, she's running out of all the best bits, Yeah. that dad, dad says we should, we should have started it much earlier. Oh. So there's kind of like a... Um, Hansel and Gretel steal a child and fatten them up early kind of thing going on. So, so the, I, in my head, I assume like the, you know, the, the, the mom and the, the little boy might've gone into the butcher shop one day and the butcher has kind of gone, Oh, look, here's a, here's a, a likely uh, new member of the family that we can, that we can start early. And that's at some point he snatched the child the couple know, and they're just trying to get the sun back. So, is that also hinted to at the end when they pick up, like when they squeeze? Like, I can't remember the exact wording, but like squeeze their son between them, and like his fingers sink into the boy's fat. Like, the, is that like an indication that the boy has been being fattened up, or just more alluding to what was going to happen? That's what I thought. It was more. Yes, the early signs of fattening up, but also the hint of why did the couple really want to get the boy back? Yeah. Um, are they just another family 
that want to do the same thing. Oh, man. See, I didn't even think about it. Now, now that's like just a different level of ugh. Well, that's a, we that's a even, big fan theory online. Yeah. Um, Brian, Brian and I kind of discussed adding a bit more on. Uh, <laughs> but Brian, yeah, I don't, I, we, can't, we can't do that. We'll get complaints. <laughs> well, that too, but I think it plays better, especially like you saying that. Like, I think it plays better not knowing. Like there's, I think that's a, a a fine line to tread, especially in horror. How much do you say? How much do you show? How much do you just allow the audience to to draw their own conclusions? You know, if somebody wants to hear it at the end and like, hey, they got their son back, great, that's closure for them. And if they want to hear it at the end, like, hey, they got their food back, <laughs> that, yeah. you know, that's good for them. But no, I think, especially like. Maybe and that was maybe me again as the father saying, "Good, they got their kid back." Mm. I did. It didn't even enter my mind that it would be the other way. But no, I think I think drawing the line there was the smart play. Well, I suggested possibly to Brian about the next Raymond scene, what his little souvenir would be, and we we spoke about that a little bit. And we Brian and kind of went, "Nah, we'll we'll leave it as it is." It's a baby. Maybe. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to say, too, that uh, multiple listenings of the story also kind of reveal uh, new uh, clues, basically. It wasn't until the third time, because I listened to it now maybe five times. It wasn't until the third time that I actually heard the protagonist say, you know, my son, as he hands the baby over to the woman, and then describe fingers in the baby fat. I didn't hear son the first two times I heard it. I kept thinking, this is the son of the butcher. Cherry calls the boy her little brother. So Cherry, who's the daughter of, it just reaffirmed to me the first two times, oh, they were either saving the boy from the boy's family, or they were just kidnapping the boy to also eat the boy. There was something weird about everybody wanting to eat this boy. But then the third time I heard, I was like, oh, wait a minute. They just said son too. So there's another clue. So I'm just even more thoroughly confused, and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good job confusing everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good at that. (laughs) It's not frustrating. It's not a frustrating confusion at all. It's just like, okay, let me hear it a fifth time, and maybe I'll figure out more. It's very effective. Ah, I'd also like to point out that this, uh, and if you – if you take it for the uh, they save their son, I think this is the first happy ending in the gray rooms. Uh, yeah, because uh, um, I, I, I think, think I think White Light Heaven was a happy oh, ending. Yeah. That's right. Hey. Sort of. Kind of. <laughs> this one, it seems like all the good guys are alive at the end. <laughs> I sent Brian the story, I would say, a long time ago, and then, then I found out that Everyone had to die at the end. And I got really concerned. Oh, my main guy hasn't died at the end. Brian, Brian, what are we going to do? And Brian just kind of winked and said, leave it to me. <laughs> <I'll>, uh... <laughs> well, you know, when I started looking for stories, I didn't know all the rules because uh, they didn't really exist. You know, I <laughs> I think when, when I was talking to Jason, they gave him fairy tale. You know, I was like, hey, you know the guy gets away with everything in the end, right? Like, does then that kind of, you know, so that one and then Dan's story, I figured, you know what? We already 
broke the rules once. Why not? You know, I mean, it would be okay. Um, and that's the thing. Like the idea is, is that if if there have to be there has to be consequences or some way. So for fairy tale, I said, okay, well, you know what? It's Raymond's birthday. He's gonna go get a way out of dying in this episode. For Dan, I decided, you know what? Raymond's gonna die in the gray rooms. That way, he's already you know he's already died. Why would you want to die again? So, you know, we covered him. We covered him twice. So he's he's good. Now we can suffer again. Uh, <laughs> hey, one thing I wanted to ask, because I, was, I wasn't I was actually just on my phone just for the heck of it. I was looking at the story. One thing that always got me, too, is he's a butcher, right? But it also says in the story he's a figurehead of the town. So, you know, I don't really think of, like, the town butcher as, like, the central figure of a, you know, of a community. So that's what kind of made me wonder if he's this figurehead. And he's this, you know, this whole family are full of cannibals and the other people might be cannibals. I mean, are we looking at like an entire community of people that just eat each other? Because we know that I think he does butcher other animals, right? I think it's mentioned that there's like other food in that house. So what's what's going on with this? <laughs> I didn't really think if the rest of the town are the same. I think it was... Um... As I said, when I first my first few years in Australia and living down in the country with these really small towns and all of the houses spread out over a large area and those few little shops in town. So if you own a small shop in a small town, you are a, a major kind of player, you know. <laughs> um, so that's as far as it went. I didn't I didn't envision a, a town full of cannibals. So it's good that people are kind of projecting it out further. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I I live uh, so I live right outside the Twin Cities in a really big city and everything else and but I'm right next to a really little city that's got like 1600 people. And there's a butcher shop in that city and whenever we go to like use that butcher shop, it's always busy, but I absolutely understood the concept of the figurehead because especially if you're part of the community, like a butcher shop more than a lot of other things you get to know people like it to me it made sense for a butcher because you go in and you're providing food for somebody's family like even like going standing in line getting some corned beef for saint patrick's day like listening to the number of people that would come in and just talk about their families with the people that were standing behind the counter so i got that and it made me extra sad that he ate people <laughs> like you're at a butcher shop buddy have some sausage did he eat people or was it just his the mother like what was up with the mother and why was she such a mutant kind of person well then the narrator says it at the very beginning that's what he's eating at the table like he brings like another fork full of white flesh to his mouth i assume that was the mother um yeah because we had the we had the pig in the kitchen as yeah. well that's oh. it was a, a see i guess i thought it was pig until i met the mom and then i assumed it was the mom the the origin the origin of this um, back when I because I'm English originally and before I moved out and there's always loads of loads of different kinds of cooking shows and there's there's one called the Hurry Bikers which are these two I think they've lost a lot of weight now but these two big men with the big beards and the long hair 
and they would get on the motorbikes and go to a town and do a little cooking show. And they used to have the saying, fat means flavor. Because mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't like these, these chefs cooking all healthy. They would cook, you know, stews and, and roasts and leave the fat in because that's where the flavor comes up. And it just stuck with me as a nice cannibal catchphrase, fat means flavor. Um, so that's why they're just fattening the mother up and just, yeah, so, so they're, they're feeding her with any, any meat. She's getting really big and then they, they take from her. I think that was, so <laughs> it, it, that was, it was sad enough that they were eating her and the, the physical descriptions of her and the cake, as you put it and everything else, but the concept of how broken she was as a hostage and as a victim that she was just trying to get like the gravy that was like on her chest like that. Oh man. Like that sort of thing. It's like, um, have any of you ever seen the horror movie, the Poughkeepsie tapes? Okay. So it came out, I can't remember what the deal was. It, it causes like a lot of controversy. I'm not sure why. It's a horror movie, but it's a horror movie about a serial killer who films himself. Like these are the Poughkeepsie tapes and things like that. Um, but it's this really, it does this really amazing job of the concept of um, like a captive, how their mind gets broken. As much as at one point they want to get away, then they can't live without like their captor or like, um, Oh man, what was what was the horror movie about the guy who breaks into the house and turns it like into Saw? Um, collector. Yeah, the collector. So the in the collection, mm-hmm. like the sequel to it, like the women that are in like the house that are in, are in the house that they go to, they love him. Like it's that concept of like the bro- the broken mind of the captors, like mm-hmm. that gets every time. So just yeah. the fact that the mom was just broken, and for her it was just about the food. It wasn't I'm suffering, I'm in pain, or anything else. It was the food, and like that just that was heart wrenching for me. That was a great detail. Another bit was do you remember in a movie I'm sure everyone has seen, um, Nightmare on Street Five, and there's yeah. a scene where there is a a girl who's I think her mum's really pushy. You've got to be a model. Watch your weight. And in, in the Freddy dream, she's kind of in, in a big kind of high chair and, and Freddy's cutting bits oh, out of yeah. her stomach and feeding her. Oh, feeding it to her, yeah. Yeah. And when I was a kid, having heard about that but not seen it, it was oh. it was awful. It was horrific. Um, and then when, when you finally see it, it, it wasn't that bad <laughs> it's not bad because the makeup is so cheesy for like her cheeks and yeah and everything else but yeah i remember the i feel like i had the same thing where it was like kids on the playground or something we're like oh and then there's this scene where like he's making her eat her stomach or something like you anything you get in your head at that point especially at a certain age is always mm-hmm. going to be worse than the reality when you see <laughs> you know robert england and a bunch of makeup doing it but yeah, that was that, that's actually a great example of it. I think I kind of thought it's not as bad as now that I've actually seen it, it's not as bad as I envisioned. 
Oh. And maybe deep in my subconscious, I thought, let's kind of take that idea and do it justice and really turn some stomachs. One you thing uh, we were we were talking about uh, just you know hearing something and visualizing it before you've seen it. JM did that with the story, um, just listening to it from the voice actors. JM, what what did you think of the story? I mean, we all read it, so we all kind of had some thoughts about it beforehand. You're just listening to this, thinking, "What's going on?" Well, uh, it was great listening to it because um, I didn't know what kind of story it was. Kind of sounded like a like the detective noir, gritty. Even you know, getting into the kitchen, the action scene in the kitchen, and then when he hits the hallway upstairs and he starts to say, oh, it's the, I've never smelt a dead body before. You're like, okay, here's where it turns. Here's where it's going to start getting good. I didn't know what to expect. So once we get into that room, it's just pure horror, terror. And he, you know, Gabe does a great job of, uh, you know, cursing and the breathing and like, oh my God, what's going on in here? Um, it, yeah. It, I mean, like everybody else, I mean, it hits everyone kind of hard. It's like, oh Jesus Christ, like what, what is going on in this room? crazy so how much of the story been produced before you got it to compose the music were there sound effects or was it just the raw narration usually when jason gets me the story uh all the sound effects are in sometimes there's still watermarks on them like so he's almost done but mostly it's it's like 98 percent complete okay so i get the i get the whole thing and then at that point i have to you know that's where i start working i listen to it two or three times before i even start working on it Again, yeah. I sat through it once. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the job. Oh. So every episode, yeah, uh, I, uh, you know, just uh, listening to it during the day, and then when I finally hit the studio, I've listened to it so much already. I know some of the lines already. I know where the key points are, um, and then that's that's where I start my writing. By the time I'm done, I probably listen to the whole thing thirty times. Oh, wow. uh, cause it takes, it takes, uh, it takes, uh, you know, I mean, just going over parts while I'm listening, you know, listening to vocals while I'm laying down some string beds or the guitar or whatever I have to do. It's like, you, you hear it a lot. So every story I come out of, I, I know it in and out, including the sound effects. Uh, cause Jason does such a great job, especially, especially those, uh, squishy sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the scene in the kitchen when, uh, when the butcher was, uh, bleeding out. And you can hear him gurgling. I just, I just like, oh, I'm not going to put any music over this because <laughs> it was just sounded so good. I didn't want to ruin it. So beginning to end, how long did it take you to compose for? I don't know if this episode is any different from anything you normally do, but how long did composition take? Um, I usually work in four hour spurts. It took me two sessions. So it took me about eight hours uh, to do all the music. Wow. Yeah. And then Man, reading's the easy part. Yeah, yeah, reading. Uh, a lot, uh, usually the first time it's me sketching out writing because uh, I usually when I go in, I just have a rough idea of what I want to do. Like, you know, in the beginning, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make like a like a Tarantino tremolo guitar part. But like, it's not until I get into the studio that I pick up the guitar and figure out exactly how I'm going to, what I'm going to play. And then it, and it kind of just flows from there. And usually, uh, I don't know, a lot of people work differently, but I work from start to end. So I write from the beginning of the episode and I take it all the way to the uh, to the end of the episode. Other composers will write the like 
you know, the, uh, the, the finale first and then work backwards or, but you, I like to start from the beginning and work my way through. So Dan, have you considered writing a follow-up to this story for gray rooms? Um, not per se, but, I, but Cherry's still alive. Maybe do something with her. That's true. She, I thought uh, that that was a huge mistake by uh, by the protagonist. I was like, "Don't knock her out. She's the one who will get her." I thought I was. I kept waiting for her to run out of the house after him at the end. She, I get with this with the sound design of hearing her scream. You can really see her flying across that room. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of when I listened to it in the car, I said I, I kind of had that niggling feeling. I need to do something more with this character because she's she's too too good to just have a a one one appearance. I sense a Kill Bill style sequel. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as the podcast is concerned, in production, so listening to this story in particular and having the physical reaction I did, um, I'm curious when you do you know anthology style i mean the gray rooms is kind of different in the way they handle anthology but do you ever listen to a story and think where do we go from here or you hear a story that you like so much or it has a specific impact on you or something about the music or the sound design that it sets like a different like feel for what the podcast is or what you want the podcast to become like you even mentioned like someone survived at the end oh we're breaking rules i guess well we can i guess we can break rules again like do you feel that the stories themselves are are forcing the show to evolve or is it still kind of what you always anticipated it to be anybody <laughs> uh dan um I thought this would be more about the, the, the podcast generally. I was, I was waiting for Brian to jump in. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, so you basically, um, I think, uh, I'm sorry, I was expecting this Dan to be answering this. Could you just uh, give me that question again? Look, no, it's, it's basically how do the stories, uh, uh, you know, push the the narrative for the gray rooms like as the stories come in yeah i mean i i guess the way it it doesn't i mean really um at least at first we tell everybody to you know write the story the way you want to write it and uh just you know in fact oddly enough sometimes uh, when we had the contest uh for instance people were trying to include the gray rooms into their story um mm -hmm. uh, but we don't have any background in that. You don't know what's going on and everything. I was like, don't, don't do that. Uh, it, it should be separate. People should be able to enjoy your story as your story and don't worry about it. Um, after that, um, after we listen to it, we decide how we want to, you know, put the lineup together. That's when doing the Raymond and Bob stories, I kind of say, okay, well, I have to fit this in. Obviously he's going to react to the story. So for instance, he didn't die in Dan's story. So his reaction would be different, right? So my idea was that, okay, well, he's going to die in, you know, Bob's going to kill him. You know, he's cardiac arrest. 
and then he gets put into the story. So naturally, he's going to come back out, and he's going to react to the situation. Yeah, he doesn't die, and he saves this, and he's probably kind of having one of those like WTF moments. So when episode 10 comes around, I don't want to ruin anything, but uh, you know there is going to be some kind of reaction to this story, just like with everything. Um, and originally I thought, you know what, why don't we give them some like souvenirs to like every story, you know, uh, like the rocking chair or a rat, a pet rat, you know? Um, but then after a while, you know, we just kind of started doing some different things, but, uh, there will be sort of a spoiler alert souvenir from, from, uh, Dan's story, um, coming up. So you'll, you'll be able to see that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like for for season two, for instance, I have to wait till we finalize all of our stories before I can kind of go on with that. And I do think the stories I I I, I have some ideas as to maybe working them to kind of be a, a, a bigger part of the narrative. But I, I try not to make it imperative to that because I want to be able to tell the gray room story in addition to everybody else's. So, you know, but yeah, I definitely have to wait for all the stories before I can do it because it'd be kind of impossible outside of that. So, yeah, without Dan's story, you wouldn't be able to enjoy a really good uh, episode 10 intro. <laughs> so I guess I'm, I'm curious when you go back and you listen to the episodes, like Dan saying he listened to the episode in the car and just kind of hearing everything and hearing the special effects cues, hearing the music and that, that changed everything being like at every level of production. Is there, is there ever a point where the podcast feels like it's really evolving, like really changing for you? Because, you know, I mean, like with my own stuff, like I've written stuff in the past, but I narrate it. Like I'm a reader. Like I just, I read the story the, the way that I think that I should, but then it goes, you know, you have composition, you have sound design, you have everything else. Like when you first started the gray rooms to what it is now, like how much has it changed for you? So in the beginning, especially when I came in, there was just one trailer and then there was actually um, a man in Liza's story that will be episode 12 uh, that was finished and Graham Rovett was doing it. But there was no intro and there was no really big, you know, like uh, serial type story in there. Um, in terms, so what I heard from the story uh, that Manon had written uh, called uh, The Gardener, which everyone will hear, um, I could kind of see Jason. Uh, grow a little bit in terms of um, what he was, you know, what he was doing. Uh, that was like his first audio production. And then since then we did falling and then we just kind of kept going. Uh, I saw the stories get a little bit longer. I saw the stories get a little bit more in depth. One of the earlier criticisms we had was like the music was like way too loud. It was like blowing out people's eardrums. And then, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, every, everything kind of comes together. Um, we didn't have anybody doing, music like jason was you know buying the music and the rights to it online then he started talking to jm when jm came aboard and jm had done our intro which nobody had heard until episode one um even though he had worked on that a long time ago yeah. it was like uh 
it was it, it made a difference, I think, because now, you know, not only do we have control over, you know, the story and the direction it goes, but now we can, you know, now JM can work with us and we can have control over the music. And now the music is tailored, you know, based on what he's listening to the story. So that was an evolution to it. Um, in the beginning, we had. I had to go on Twitter and just ask people for stories. And, you know, like I ran into Dan Russell and I had been talking to him a little bit and I said, Hey, Danny, you know, you got any stories for me? You know? And, and Danny's like, yeah, you know, send something. And then that, that happened, but nobody knew who we were. Nobody knew what we were doing or what we were capable of. Um, now when we starting with that uh, contest we did for the uh, preseason stories, um, and for the stories we've received for season two, people kind of know what's going on and they, they want to be a part of it. And I see an evolution in that regard because now um, we have a lot more stuff to play with. We have a lot more options, a lot more stories. For instance, if, you know, half the people I was asking submitted stories to us that, you know, were, I mean, not as good as they, they are, what would we have done? You know, we just have delayed things and asked for more stuff. I, I don't know. So I think in terms of everything, I've seen a growth in the quality of our of our stories. Um, we've since kind of came up with the behind the door. You know, the, the bonus stories are now showing up. Uh, we have a kind of a good idea as to the warden and where we're going with the story. So, yeah, it definitely is a, is a big evolution to what we were doing because – to tell people that we're doing a serial podcast that also is an anthology um, is kind of crazy. I feel like, like, I don't, I feel like people just don't know what we're talking about. And then when we said, Oh, it's like, you know, the warden's like tales from the crypt meets quantum leap. And then, you know, you have this idea that, you know, the Raymond and Bob show and they're doing the same quantum leaping into a horror story. Uh, it was funny because when we were, we were mentioned in the sci-fi channel article about, you know, the horror podcast to listen to on Halloween. And I thought to myself, people are going to have no idea what we're talking about when we say this. Um, and then now I think everybody knows, I think people are kind of looking forward to where we're going with, with this. And uh, the idea that I can take the kind of storyline and build it for multiple seasons and still include all these anthology stories and build relationships with all these people, I think is, is pretty, pretty fun. It's pretty fascinating. And uh, from the beginning, if you would have told Jason and myself and, and Brooks and JM that, that this was going to happen, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think we, we thought, but it, it definitely uh, became something that we're really proud of. And I hope everybody else is too, because you know, it's, it's, been, it's been tough, <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. Do we get more stories from Dan in the future? Um, Dan has submitted a story for season two. Um, and uh, I mean, I can't really make any comments because we haven't finalized any, anything yet. So I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that Dan, but. Uh, <laughs> I think is, that was, that me? Uh, is that me letting me down gently? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, no, we um the, the thing is about uh the season 2 stories is that I have to read them. Jason has to read them. Um and we're on the process of doing that, but for both of our schedules, like I'm reading some and he's reading, you know, I don't think we're totally on the same page yet. 
Um, and we're also kind of finalizing the last couple episodes of the, of the season. So it's, uh, you know, it's just kind of a little bit slower. I think, uh, I think once April comes around, I think we'll be in a, a better position to uh, start to, you know, finalize things and let everybody know what we're, what we're doing. But uh, surprisingly, uh, we really, you know, like Dan, um, Gary Bowler uh, submitted stories um, about uh, Bo Chapel. Um, you know, we definitely have had uh, Candace, you know, we, we've had some people, but a lot of these people that submit stories are all brand new authors. Um, so that's, that's pretty exciting. You know, we're going to see what they got going on. And, uh, but no, no, no sequels yet to Summer Child. No, well, if no. nothing else, I still want to see the script that you couldn't produce a show up on Patreon as a reward at some point. Now, that was published, right, Dan? Like, I mean, that was something you'd submitted into a, what, a magazine or? A... Um, it was in a book. It's, it was in, it was in an, an anthology. It was in my collection. And it was the, um, yeah, used as a promotional free shot story too so it's kind of been been out and about well i'm gonna have to look for it you're gonna have to send the you're gonna have to send me the name of it offline oh yeah i'll i'll, I'll find the pdf and send it send it through <laughs> well thanks everyone i had a really good time i gotta go literally put the kids to bed i hear them stomping around upstairs right now i hope that's them i hope yeah. they get their son back because i'm not giving them up uh-oh. I think Swift's up there. You better be careful. <laughs> the boy's not chubby enough. He will. He will. He runs, <laughs> he runs around too much. But, again, thanks, everyone. I had a blast with the episode, and I really love the podcast. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you so much, John. Thanks, <laughs> it was John. great having you. Thanks. Thank you. So that was uh, John John Grills. Um, he does the creepy podcast, and if you haven't uh, if you haven't heard that yet, come on now. You know you need to be listening to all these horror podcasts and supporting us. And most likely, everybody knows of him and haven't heard of us, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we lost Brooks. I don't know what happened. A while ago, actually. Yeah, I don't know if uh, do I need to resend something or. He said service issue detected. No, he lost his internet. He lost his internet. It's shut off. So, <laughs> oops. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, one thing I wanted to say to JM is that uh, that kind of theme that sort of introduces Summer Child was just fantastic. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about I think everybody was on the same page. When you looked at our first teaser for art, it was kind of this like Reservoir Dogs looking stylish poster. And then you had, you were all thinking noir and then you had that song, you know, playing. I, I want that. I, like, I would love to hear more of that song. Just, you know, just to hear because I just loved it so much, you know. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. You know, like I said, uh, one of the things that uh, Jason said to me when he he usually will send me the file and send me some notes saying kind of like, oh, maybe looking for this or that. Or, hey, Brooks. Uh, <laughs> so um, one of the main things he said was uh, Tarantino-ish and dark and gritty. 
So, and that's it. And then he, sometimes he'll go through each part and say, Oh man, you know, something like this, something like this. But this time he was, that's all he said, Tarantino ish, dark and gritty. And like I said, hearing the story for the first time, that's totally the feeling that I got was that very noir detective you know, fedora with a lamp, you know, uh, with a, you know, a street light, uh, you know, sitting in the car, scoping at a house. It's like, you know, that's the first type of thing I heard, you know? So, um, you know, yeah, going from, it goes, I, you know, I enjoy kind of bringing in that noirish, and then, you know, what I've kind of been uh, known for now in the gray rooms is the horror, cinematic horror, you know, stuff. And it was nice to do something different. I actually got to pull out the guitar and play uh, instead of just uh, pounding away at the keyboard. I love that guitar, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. We're actually going to be having a lot more of JM uh, coming with these next couple of episodes. I think you're in a uh, next story ground level. Yeah. Right? Finishing so, out, doing uh, finishing touches on ground level and that'll be out uh, for the patrons at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, I'm getting two more stories. And I'm not sure which ones they are yet. <laughs> one of them. Well, a certain man. Uh, is one of them too, right? I think you have worked on. Uh, uh, ground uh, ground floor is the only one I have right now. Uh, oh, okay. Where J- you know Jason sending me something tomorrow, and then as you see it, he's sending me the final episode. I usually I'm on a as uh, a need to know basis, I guess. <laughs> I, they come in as as uh, Jason finishes them up. Uh, so I'll be working on those, and uh, more exciting is uh, that I'll be involved in every episode uh, in season two. And I'm looking forward to that a lot uh, because we'll be able to get even more in depth uh, with what can be done with an episode before Jason even finishes it. Because uh, the way the season has worked is I kind of came in when several episodes were already done. So at this point, it's it's uh, for season two, I'll be in on the on the ground level. <laughs> uh, for, for these, uh, for, for every episode. So we'll be able to work it out from there. And now it's going to be exciting and fun. Now Brooks talking about uh, on a need to know basis, especially for doing the art for the episode. Um, you were kind of on a need to know because you had that, you had the opportunity to read the stories, but then you were kind of like on the fence, like, well, I don't know if I want to spoil it. Um, so you kind of had an impression of Summer Child before you even read the story. What was that like to kind of like hear like hearsay and then all of a sudden kind of read this story and kind of the strange ending and, and you know, all the other stuff that was going on with it? Well, the story really, from what I heard, because the whole premise of me avoiding reading the stories was kind of silly, I guess. I, I wanted to maintain the super fan thing and be just wowed when the episode comes out. Um, and Summer Child really was the first story where I said, okay, I think I need to read these, you know, so I know what to do in terms of artwork or to how to promote and make artwork for it. Um, I was not prepared <laughs> for what I read. I was not prepared at all. It was just crazy. I just was like, what did I read? This was, this was absolutely crazy. Um, I think moving forward, I'm going to want to read all the stories because it definitely also helped i think for me to kind of um 
conceptualize the artwork to make for the story, being able to read it first and wait instead of waiting till that very last minute when the episode drops and comes out and I'm listening and hearing it and designing something for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and I just got to say, I, I'm loving everything you're doing, Brooks. All the art. All, I, I'm like a big art guy. When I was young, I really wanted to learn how to draw. I just don't have the the natural talent to do it. And then, you know, I, I mess around with Photoshop and stuff, but like your ideas and the stuff you come up with is, is, is freaking awesome. I, I love it. Graham helped too. Graham, um, yes. Graham made the first and, promo for summer child, you know, just that wham, bam, just popping out the, the guy and the girl with the guns, with the big, yes, yes, that, that was, was awesome. Graham. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Graham's coming into himself too as a little artist. I don't even think that really Graham has ever done anything like that before. At least I don't think so. Yeah, so Graham did the uh, Cell Block B episode. Uh-huh. Is that did, correct? Did the the album art or the episode artwork for Cell Block B too? And I was blown away by how he designed that as well. Um, I think we're having a lot of fun here, and we're we're learning as we go. Really, um, I don't like the idea of like, okay, we have, let's say we have 12 episodes in season two. So let me just bang out 12 graphic artwork representations for each episode. That's not fun. I, I like knowing, okay, what's the new story coming up? Okay, let's start working on some artwork for it. So the artwork that everyone keeps seeing is really coming out uh, kind of hot off the press really, um, which I feel is gives it a better quality because you're not just planning ahead. Okay, this episode's coming out when in December. Okay, I've got the artwork done three, you know, six months early, eight months early. It's not the same. It doesn't have the same impact. You know, making the art fresh after hearing the story or after reading the story, I think, really ups the quality. Kind of. uh, one thing we never talked about, I don't think, is uh, how the author feels about this art that is kind of designed just for their story. I mean, it's. It's one thing, you know, to have your story have a voice actor and, you know, some music put onto it and, and, and the sound effects. And some people have had that, but to actually have art. And then now we have multiple pieces of art done for the story. I know Dan on, on, on uh, Twitter was saying, you know, keep them coming. He wanted he wanted all the art in the world. Dan, Dan what's it like seeing people's, uh, you know, artistic uh, you know, ideas of your story? I mean, we, we had all we had all we were going all over the place with your story there. Yeah, it's it's one of those um, being being a writer, especially with with novels. Though, you know you're going to get that moment where someone says, "Here's your cover," and it's one of the highlights of the whole process. So, having seen the artwork for previous episodes, it was one of the things I was really looking forward to with my episode. And as you say, the, the first one that came out was the uh, the couple with the guns, with the the smoke curling out the barrels, animated. That was a really nice touch, and I was blown away by that. And I, but I thought that was it, and I was quite happy with that. And then along came the, um, I think the next was the, the pig artwork. Yeah, that was me. Like, oh, that's, that's two. You know, <laughs> you know uh, that, that was great. And that, that yeah, so you had the, the, the kind of noir feel with the first one, then the grimy meat based uh, with the second one. The next was, I this think, one. the one behind you. Jam, yeah, that one with the the two B pencil. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> yeah. Cassie. Yeah, Cassie Portis. Awesome. Yeah. awesome stuff. That just then, like popped. It was like a blockbuster representation of it. I thought it was great. It was very um because Cassie is a professional graphic designer. I am not. This is something I've taught myself to do. 
Um, so when she released that, it was like, cool, there you go. <laughs> there's your blockbuster your movie poster right there. And then there's the, oh, and the fourth one. Was that you? That was me the, with the um, anatomy uh, of man. Yeah, yeah. That was more yeah. concept. I fought really hard for that one. That's great. Yeah. I love that there was a original art for behind the door. Uh, it, it changed it up a little bit from previous episodes where it was just the original art with uh, behind the door on the side. Oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's, it's something cool to look at. I mean, you scroll to your Facebook feed and there's, oh, there's another cool picture. And it's, it's so much fun. That's the whole point behind all of this is to grab your eyeballs. Um, I mean, there's thousands of podcasts out there. And to just have a post saying, hey, guys, new episode out, like, that's cool. If, if we can spend more time creating this visual fun to add to the audio, I feel like it just draws more people and it just makes the project that much more exciting to be a part of and, and to enjoy as a fan. So there's a lot of well, it's working, I think. <laughs> For me, it is as a fan. Because don't forget, I don't get uh, I use I don't I get the episodes as they come, and also I don't hear the rain anything uh, from Raymond until the episode airs. So right. I, I do get uh, you know when I get my uh, you know my feed on on Friday morning uh, for uh, the Patreon feed, usually Friday evening. Uh, you know that Raymond story, even though I may have heard the other one a hundred times, the Raymond story it's like all right, something new and juicy to listen to. So. Uh, you know, so I get to listen as a fan too. Oddly enough, I do too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear it. Like I, I've I've heard the other the stories done. I haven't. Uh, sometimes, like if I wanted to, I can hear like Graham's version of uh, Bob, but I don't really hear like like he the way he does it. He does it like uh, two takes, um, and then yeah. they get, like doubled and I guess tripled and whatever. You know, like they just keep making it all fancy. Yeah. Uh, I don't get those until the end, and half the time I forget what I was writing because I wrote all those ahead of time. So I'm like, "Well, what was ten about? What was eleven? <laughs> about? You know, all I know is is that all the evens have a um, background bit, you know, that kind of give you a little bit of Raymond's backstory. Um, but that's that's it. Like I, you know, I, I really forget what's going on. Um, but uh, you know. There's stuff going on for sure. It's gonna be fun. I can't wait for, uh, I can't wait for people to get twelve. I remember that intro, and that's that's pretty fun. I don't know if I missed this, but Daniel, when was the very first time that you heard the story? Did did you hear the Patreon version, or did you wait till it came out on the main feed? I think I, I was sent the link to the Patreon version first. Um, but as I say, that was just listening in the kitchen. There's things going on. Um. Yeah, I normally I I listen to it in the car loud as I normally do with each episode as they come out. Normally on the Saturday after, sort of like the next day that they're released because I normally work Saturdays. It's now as drive, but an episode fits in nicely with, with the drive to work. So that's my routine. Did you cry hearing it? Like, was it an emotional experience or or what? It's 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 the closest to kind of having a movie made of your work. It's it's so close. And Jason would be so happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he will, you know, because he's got to like, well, you know, he better, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
One thing uh, I, I want to say is um, being because normally we have the voice actors here. Right. Uh, and we don't this time. So I do want to make sure that we give credit to um, Gabe and Lindsay. I think they did a, a great job. Lindsay had multiple parts, all the female roles. Uh, Graham was uh, in it as well. He was swift. And uh, Gabe, I think he did a great job with the noir. I, honestly, I thought John Wick just walked into that house and was getting ready to, you know, save his kid. You know, it wasn't his dog that was put down. It was his kid that was kidnapped, you know. So um, I think it was – I think that they put the story, um, you know, in a completely different light. It, it makes you wonder, like, if you have really – if you had a voice, you know, actor, actress that, you know, kind of just phoned it in – it really wouldn't do Dan's story any justice, but the fact that the way they did it really added to that kind of mystery to it. Um, and I think that it was just you know, one of those things where everybody wanted more. I don't think anybody in that story like that, that has made comments, most people say they felt like it was part of a larger work and they wanted to know what happens next. So that is, that's me. Uh, I mean, what author doesn't want to hear that, right? <laughs> So it was definitely magic that uh, happened with this episode. I just want people to keep listening to it because I'm telling you, every time you hear it, you unlock a like I don't want to say clue; it's a weird word to use, but you unlock another aspect of the story. I feel like, which just goes to further show how amazing it was that you wrote it. Because at first, the first time listening, I was just so confused. Why? Mm -hmm. What is going on? What is the motivation? I don't understand. I listened to it a second time. Oh, okay, I get that now. Mm -hmm. It's like it starts to fall into place each time you listen to the story. Yeah, it's awesome. It gets better every time I hear it. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, on that note, guys, I, I got to say, see you later. It's been great being on, but I got to run. Oh, um, yeah. So we will, uh, I'll see you guys next time, uh, you know, uh, on, I guess, ground floor. Uh, I'll uh, be around for that one. So, uh, Dan, it was nice meeting you. Yeah, hey, nice guys. to meet you. Good to see you again. Good work, and uh, take it easy. Yeah, we'll see you, Dan. Thank you for uh, showing up. We'll see you in two weeks. Yes. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. One thing uh, I wanted to uh, talk about, too, is uh, Brooks, what do you think is going on with uh, Raymond and Bob? Ah, so I I'm silly because I didn't realize that Bob, um, well, I don't know. I don't know if Bob himself is the one that tased, <laughs> basically tased and killed. Raymond, but I didn't realize that Raymond was dead. I just didn't, I didn't piece that together. I had to be multiple listenings again to figure that out. So I'm just having a slow episode week, if you know what I mean. Um, it, it's just, it's just a continuing to be a wonderful evolution of their relationship. Like they truly have a relationship. I feel that there's something that Bob needs in Raymond and whether Raymond wants it or not, Raymond needs Bob because Bob is his only real way of for Raymond to figure out what the hell is actually going on. If there was no Bob, actually, if there was no Bob, that might even be a worse fate for Raymond. That would really drive Raymond crazy. So there's just a very interesting and strange relationship going on between them. But it's... I remember, I don't remember if it was the last episode or the episode before, but Bob notes how Raymond is showing um, uncharacteristic, um, not aggression, but... Um, what, what was it that Bob said? Come on, you're the writer. Um, it, he was recognizing how Raymond was was fighting back almost, not arguing, but being. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm losing the word now. Um, 
Well, I do think uh, Raymond has been a bit rebellious yes, from the get-go. Um, go. But Raymond, I think I tried to show that, like, especially even after when Bob didn't show up, like you mentioned, what would Raymond do without Bob? Uh, it would be like solitary confinement pretty much, right? I mean, he would just be in a room all by himself, nobody to talk to. Um, but he is building a relationship with them. I'm not going to say they're best friends, um, right. but – but he does have – there are at least, like, acquaintances now, I would say, you know, where, you know, Raymond knows Bob knows more than he's telling him. But – and I don't think Bob necessarily kind of hides things. He is pretty, you know, blunt. I mean, he said that Lucy was dead. I don't know if we can trust that or not. I'm not going to really say. But at the same point, there's definitely, you know, information being given. So – I think Raymond sees this, this kind of uh, if he, he feels that like Bob's hiding something very important, and now you know now he can't take it anymore. Now he's going to start going ballistic, right. and of course, how do you get control in that situation when you're floating in wherever you are? You know, I mean, whether you're you're just we don't know where his body is. We don't know like you know if he's just some guy sitting down like like we are, and uh, you know we don't know. So he has to get control somehow. So he's able to somehow remotely electrocute Raymond. Yeah. I, I loved Bob's reaction when he kills Raymond. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's, it's not played for, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's played for laughs, but it's so deadpan. And he's got that. That's unfortunate. I think is, is what he says. And, and then just gets on with it. <laughs> Bob is very deadpan. It's really interesting. I, I do like Bob. I mean, the warden's my favorite, but I, I think Bob is kind of my second favorite character. Yeah, I love Bob. And I love the fact that he could even make a haiku deadpan. You know, <laughs> like, how do you do that? But, but then Graham, that is a testament to Graham. Like, he is, uh, you know, I, I could tell, I, I think he really enjoys the character, you know, um, because it, it has to be, slightly different challenge to try to not be like have a personality but still kind of emulate a personality i guess you could say i don't know like you know the way he's going through the you know he's just going through the motions of life but he's not trying to show like any kind of uh prefer maybe like uh i don't know like he's not trying to treat raymond in a in a in a nice way i guess rude to raymond yeah he ever lies to Raymond. He's just very blunt and matter of fact. Yeah. And the lack of his personality gives him personality, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's very awkward to explain, which gives it its charm. And now we've. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Uh, just he, he comes across to me as someone who's been in his job so long. He just wants to get through the day and he's bored and he's frustrated. And this guy's just being a pain in his ass. Just pick a damn door. I'll knock off at four. Come on. (laughs) But And if Bob has multiple people like Raymond that let's say he's like watching over, I feel like Bob probably does gravitate to Raymond for some reason. Raymond Mm -hmm. just seems like, because again, going back to like watching and listening to their interactions, I definitely feel that Bob is drawn somehow to Raymond. There's just this expression of interest somewhat. Because if, if, if Bob were just going through the day, just trying to get through the day so he could just leave his office or leave wherever he's at, right? 
Why would he give two shits about anything that Raymond says, or why would he want to engage the way that he does with with Raymond? So I, I feel like Bob needs Raymond. Bob definitely needs Raymond for some reason. There's something there that Bob needs, or Bob finds in Raymond that he needs. And well, for one thing, uh, Raymond named Bob, right? I mean, Bob isn't, you know, he didn't give his name anything. He said he couldn't say it or whatever, pronounce it or something. So Raymond kind of took the first step in creating. I mean, like if you have a friendship with somebody and you're like, hey, man, or hey, buddy, all the time. If I went around and called you guys like all these like little names, but not your the name you were given, something that you identify with. I mean, our relationship's only going to go so far. So the fact that Ray, uh, Raymond kind of made this a personal relationship by giving him a name kind of started things, I think, a little bit. And I don't know. Do all prisoners give their captives names? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've never been in that situation before. I'm certain that they probably, you know, I mean, how would how would that work? You know, so it's kind know. of a unique situation, I think, between them. Yeah, because there's, and, there's uh, Stockholm syndrome going on. Um, so it's yeah. <laughs> oh. Raymond doesn't like Bob, but Raymond can't be without Bob. It's very strange. I think it's 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 Raymond's resilience against the situation, and also that um, rebellious streak. I think it might amuse Bob, as compared to his other captives, experiments, whatever, whatever they are. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, picked his interest. Yeah. Uh, David Steele in the chat room uh, said, uh, "Bob for president. Would you guys want Bob to be uh, the leader of your country?" <laughs> it seems like he'd be fair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you step out of line, you get electrocuted. You know, I mean, it's, it's all good. <laughs> I don't know. Raymond had it coming though. He was being quite rebellious. He did just sit down and shut up, Raymond. Come on. <laughs> One of the things that I loved about that is, you know, I only have so many props to play with in the gray rooms. You know, I have a chair, I have a table, I have a light. I already busted the light. So I'm like, come on, I want something more to do, you know. So I ended up deciding, all right, well, he's going to bust that chair. He's going to bust that table. He's going to do some WWE kind of stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of fun because I figured by the time he wakes up again and comes back, it's all going to be there like nothing happened. I was going to so. say, is that what's going to – well, we will know in, in episode 10. Well, yeah, I mean, the light – remember, the light was fixed when he when he came back from the episode with the snake and it was still flickering and he was kind of irritated by it. That's and the thing, Raymond's always irritated. You know, you can't oh, make him happy. I didn't catch that. The light broke, but now it's back, but it's still flickering. So it's instead of it being a new bulb, it's almost like everything just reset kind of. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, or, you know, maybe they just have a whole bunch of faulty bulbs just to further interrogate their subjects, you know. Very noisy. I mean, <laughs> it's like those vault experiments and Fallout, you know, they just play mind games with you. You know what Jason <laughs> uses for that bulb sound effect? It's very unique, I feel like. And it's so it's so the gray rooms, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am comforted by that light bulb sound. Mm -hmm. Really? You're comforted? <laughs> <laughs> in the show it's like name one sound from the gray rooms and everyone's going to be like the light bulb that that yeah, sound is so unique signature sound. it's a there you get the signature sound yeah. <laughs> i always hear the sweeping of his feet because he's barefoot you know he's always like walking around his feet scraping against the floor yeah it's true i didn't think of it's, that 
there's 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 a couple you know i mean that's the it's kind of neat the background somewhere the echoey drip and then yeah. you get the pipes fixed <laughs> and uh, the, no matter what the doors like i think they use the same door sound to start every episode the door slamming um i know jason wanted to use multiple doors uh you know kind of change it up so i don't that's something I, honestly I didn't pick up on. I don't know if he's changing it or not now. No, <laughs> he's right. When when it slams, um, I feel like it is the same. Oh, that door. Okay, yeah, yeah. When it closes, that's not when it opens. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's the same. I agree. I feel like it's the same yeah. uh, door slam sound. And yeah. you kind of know where you stand. Like, right, that's your Raven and Bob bit done. Right. Now, yeah. That, like that's that. signature scene change, basically mm. going into the story. Yeah. So that's it's, it's just a shame we don't have like a like a April Fool's Day thing, you know? Change it all up. <laughs> day of the week is April Fool's uh, land on. Gosh, if that landed on a release day, that'd be interesting. It would. I don't know if, if we'd be playing mind games on people or not. I, you know, I wanted to do the the Graham rooms. Remember that? I thought that would have been funny. <laughs> he wasted just, uh, everything. That would be. Yeah, everybody, you know, change all the social media, the Graham rooms, you know, and then have uh, the introduction, but have Graham read it, you know, and everything and just change it all up. That would have been pretty fun. You know, <laughs> guys, this is uh, I love doing this behind the door. Um, and I and I'm, you know, Jason, in case anybody was wondering, Jason uh, couldn't be here. It was his, uh, his wife's birthday. And uh, so they're uh, spending some wonderful quality time together. Um, my anniversary is on Tuesday and I'm supposed to be spending quality time with my wife. So I'm in the dog house. No, I'm not. She's... <laughs> I picked up on the word supposed then. Supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Actually, she was uh, following along in, uh, on YouTube there. I was just kind of seeing if she'd say anything. Um, but, uh, no, it, we, uh, our voice actors, um, this is one of those things where, you know, just the scheduling just, didn't work out right for us. So, you know, we'll, we'll try a little harder next time to uh, make sure we can uh, get everybody in the project involved. But, uh, you know, Dan, thank you so much for, uh, for coming. You know, you're a great writer. Um, if you want to um, give me the links to, that they can use to, you know, um, you know, purchase your work. I, I know that you have uh, some things that are popping around there. Um, in fact, if you check his Twitter, um, at Daniel I Russell, uh, you can see, I, I know your work is like on your, like your main graphic on your site. Do you have a, like a link on your, on your Twitter or? Um, I think, I think my pin tweets straight to that Amazon page, I think. Okay. Uh, you know what? Let me just see real, actually I'm on right now on Twitter. Let's see here real quick. Um, but I do, you know. One of the things is a lot of our of our authors do have all these wonderful books and things, and, and I think we need to get a slightly better uh, at promoting this stuff here. Let me see. Yeah, Entertaining Demons, and uh, you do have a, a link um, to Amazon.com, and actually – all your, your so basically it's just kind of an author page right i guess mm. that you have on your, on your twitter so we'll be posting that um in i'll kind of update the information on this uh youtube uh video so everybody can uh check out your work because 
you know, you're definitely a fantastic author, something that uh, we'd love to continue working with you um, and, you know, find out uh, just how dark and, and twisted you are, Dan. Thanks, you know. Well, um, while we're talking about it, uh, one of my publishers has made that a, a novel free for the weekend to coincide with the Grey Rooms episode. So um, if anyone wants to go on the Amazon link, the, the novel's called Mother's Boys, and that should be free till Sunday night. So there you go. Something, something for free. <laughs> something for free. And uh, Dan, you're, you're a, what, a, a psychologist? I guess is that what you're you know you're you're going to school for that or you're doing clinicals yeah. for that? Yeah, I'm I'm a I gotta I gotta be careful how I describe myself because you can get get in a lot of trouble by <laughs> saying you're a psychologist if you're not. Um, I am a provisional psychologist. That that should cover me. Yeah, I was gonna say that covers everything. <laughs> <laughs> so. He's rightly disposed for finding out what's going to make or break somebody, right? Isn't that pretty much how you're... <laughs> in fact, the, the, the book I'm writing at the moment touches on a few of the things we've discussed, especially about being being locked in a room and left and, and what that does to you. There's quite a bit of that going on. <laughs> nice. So this is, this, is, this is another great thing about Behind the Doors, finding out what people are working on and also their backgrounds, because every author we've had has had some pretty incredible stuff going on, you know, so it's, it's been great. Um, Brooks has uh, really been kind of given a, a bit of an upgrade. We always used to joke around with him being a, a super fan, um, but he's been kind of uh, doing a lot of our social media work. He's been, you know, kind of really spearheading uh, our artwork along with Graham, but uh if there's organization that we need, Brooks is generally on top of it. So thank you, Brooks. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, he's been doing a lot of posting uh, for me as well on Facebook and Twitter and everything else. So he's definitely been uh, a huge help. Guys, thank you so much for uh, being a part of uh, Behind the Door. Um, you know, I'd like to thank uh, David Steele and Sergio, uh, my wife, Michelle. They're, these are uh, people that were listening in um, on the uh the chat room here. Um, we do have seven other people watching. So I wanted to thank you guys for that as well. And for everybody listening, um, when we drop this on the podcast next week, next Friday, thank you also for uh, listening. We'll, uh, we'll see you guys again um, for ground level. And just to kind of uh, whet your appetite, um, we have a, a special guest, not a guest host, but somebody uh, that, that you'll definitely want to hear. Um, for the next behind the door, Brooks knows who it is. Oh yeah, I don't. <laughs> Dan doesn't. Will be blown. Pretty awesome. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. So you all want to stay tuned for that. And uh, that's it, guys. Have a great night, and uh, we'll see. Or if you're in Australia, have a good rest of your morning. Have a good Sunday. Have yeah, a good Sunday. Now. <laughs> <A> day off. <laughs> Nice. All right, guys. Have a good one. And, uh, join us each week after every episode for another edition of Behind.